Welcome to the Jim Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian. And we are the Jim Wits. So, I, I don't know if you guys know, but I just got back from Vegas, and it was like the best trip ever. Did you lose a ton of money? <laughs> no, I actually, I actually only lost 20 bucks. Oh, nice. But, nice. but it really bothered me. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you how mad I was about that $20. Oh, wait like, till you lose, like... Five thousand dollars on a, on one hand, then yeah. you really or, or wait till you lose New Year's because you're watching Justin play poker <laughs> with the clock. <laughs> I don't yeah, know was, what you're talking. About. <laughs> yeah, that's oh one one New Year, one year on New Year's where in addition to getting us lost somehow, um, we were we were it was in Atlantic City and um, there was a group of us and we're all like, "Where's Justin? Where's Justin?" It's like you know eleven. 45 we're like oh there's justin at the poker I, I table so we all like most of my poker <laughs> you did because you <laughs> 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 so we <laughs> we we get to the poker table justin's playing he's like all right you know a couple more minutes and obviously you can't stop a poker game so we're just sitting there like anxiously waiting feet tapping it's like you know 11 55 11 56 justin's still playing 11 59 and then it's like happy new year everyone jumps up you know says happy new year and then like within 10 seconds of new year's they're right back at their table playing and we're just sitting there watching justin all really pissed off <laughs> oh my gosh when was that we were like 22 yeah oh my gosh and ryan hasn't forgotten obviously <laughs> no, I not i wouldn't forget it you can't even have your phones around that you can't even like call anyone and like i don't know if we even had phones at that time we did get cell phones but they weren't like they were just like you know flip phone type deal in hindsight oh there were some hilarious parts of that trip but in the moment it was like what the hell oh my gosh yes. i believe and it i wound up losing all my poker winnings <laughs> yeah, exactly wait a wait a what a way to start the new year you've lost money that's like terrible <laughs> that's terrible anyways i'm bringing it up because before i left i was so excited i was going for um business and then also partly fun um but i would knew that i was going to be speaking in front of a large audience i was going to meet people i've never met before so i was like really really nervous it was the first time i really did um like an event where i had to travel for and i was traveling alone so all the anxiety made it really difficult for me to sleep. And I'm usually a really good sleeper. I don't have any issue sleeping whatsoever, but I had serious problems sleeping. And it really just made me feel really bad for people who expressed to me that they have issues sleeping. So I feel like the guy that we have on this podcast coming up is like, I mean, when you guys listen to it, it was absolutely mind blowing. He was fabulous. Well, yeah, we'll get right to it. So, um, with the author of The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. We're going to talk, uh, have a great talk with Dr. Chris Winter. Hey, everyone. We are here with Dr. Chris Winter. Now, I also have your full name, William Christopher Winter. Uh, what do you like to go as? <laughs> I generally go by Chris. You okay. know, I made the mistake of putting W. Christopher Winter on my book. Okay. And it kind of became confusing, but everybody calls me Chris. Okay. All right. Or Dr. Winter? If you insist, I, I like this better. I, I got okay. trouble one time when I was in my medical training because I would call back patients and say, hey, this is Chris. I got the results of your lab. And I'll never forget getting really chewed out by this director who said, you are Dr. Winter to your patient. <laughs> well, I will be until I get out my own. Then people are going to call me Chris. So, All right. You can call by. So, anyway. so 
Chris is a neurologist and a sleep scientist. So this is uh, very interesting, especially a lot of people, including myself, struggle with sleep. Um, but the first thing we always ask before we get into the, the meat and potatoes is we like to ask about your fitness background. If you've ever sure. played sports growing up, if you got into exercise later, if you don't exercise at all, uh, let us know. So my fitness background is, you no, know, I, I grew up playing sports. I'm 45 years old, so I, I kind of grew up during the time where everything kind of had its season. So I played baseball, soccer, basketball. My father was actually a pretty prominent college football player. He actually coached football. In fact, in the Denzel Washington movie, Remember the Titans, he was one of the coaches of the team oh, wow. that they beat at the very end. Which oh, I was cool. That's cool awesome. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. So, in fact, I've got that trophy, the runner-up trophy um, from that game, which is kind of funny. But anyway, um, so, I, I, and I wrestled. That was probably my main sport growing oh, nice. up. You know, as I've gotten older, um, you know, I try to stay in shape. I run, uh, lift. I love to swim, even though I'm not very good at it. Triathlons. We just signed up. Some groups, some guys in my neighborhood signed up for another Spartan race, which oh, cool. are a lot of fun. So, I, you know, I try to, I, my kids are athletic, and so I, I try to stress physical fitness. It's good in general, but it's also fantastic for your sleep. So I'm not an amazing athlete, but, I, you know, I try to keep, keep myself uh, in, in good shape. Awesome. So so as a, I guess, as a sleep expert, and it's funny because this was when we started the podcast like three years ago, um, we, you know, we were going over a list of like the types of experts we wanted to have in the show and sleep was like at the top of the list. And for whatever reason, like we just never found anybody that we, we really thought would work. So it's, it's like been a long time coming for this um, topic, but like, I guess what got you like into, into this field? Is it something that you've always had an interest in or did you just kind of stumble into it? I did. I guess beer, beer, beer money and biology credit hours. I was an <laughs> undergraduate student and I needed both of those things and talked to my academic advisor. And he said, you know, um, as a first year, your options are fairly limited, but there are some doctors who are looking you know, for help with their research. And I, I thought you know, I was looking through this green binder of all these different doctors and their research. And I thought everything looked exceptionally boring and then I turned a page and it was this guy looking for help with sleep research which I didn't even I, mean, I knew I wanted to be a doctor I think in third grade for a variety of reasons but I didn't even know that was an option you know like a sleep doctor or sleep research so I started working for him when I was you know first year in college and just loved the field never really thought it would be a career but just kind of when I left uh, undergraduate, went to medical school, I met the guys down there at Emory who were doing research and worked with them. And just they were always so welcoming and such good mentors that eventually I was kind of forced to, to make the conclusion of, wow, I've been doing this for, you know, 10 years now. Am I just going to stop? So, you know, at one point when I was in my neurology residency, I, I decided to make it sort of legitimate and, you know, be a sleep doctor because it's just the best field in the world. Yeah, and so now I guess to just start simply, why do people, humans, or you know, all non-human animals as well, like why do we need sleep? Nobody really knows the answer to that question um, specifically. You know, to me, when you when you look at individuals who are not sleeping, a lot of the processes of the brain become very irregular. Um, so the brain, you know, I'm a, I'm a neurologist, so I'm completely biased, but the brain's the most important organ in the body. Um, 
don't think that a pulmonologist would argue that the lung is more important than the brain. So I, I don't know that any any other specialist has a, a right to say that they're more important, uh, which is why we give them a hard time. You don't see a lot of mysteries of the spleen on the cover of Time magazine. But you know, there's a, every six months, there's something about the brain or sleep, you know, which is great. Well, good when, PR, you get to, uh, when we get to put our, our brain in, 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 a, in an artificial body, Right, will still be conscious, but if you put your heart or your lung exactly. in an artificial body, that means absolutely nothing, right? So absolutely. So, <laughs> so to me, you know, when you look at the lack of sleep, nothing our bodies do is accidental. Um, we're, we're very schedule oriented, whether we're aware of it or not. Now, some people, like maybe a soldier, is extremely on a schedule, eats at the exact same time every day, exercises at the same time. And when you look at that, that's typically a place where an athlete, uh, maybe somebody you all would deal with, uh, would function very well. That schedule is really good knowing that this is when you need to be athletically at your peak. But everything from growth hormone secretion to body temperature to digestive enzymes operates on a schedule. When you look at shift workers, uh, who people have rapidly changing schedules, it's really hard on the body to the point where shift work has now been considered being considered a carcinogen, a cancer causing thing. So if you're 7A to 7P this week, then you have a couple days off and you go back to work 7P to 7A, you might be good at doing it, but it's very hard on your body. So now you're kind of setting up this spectrum of excellent sleep on a schedule, excellent sleep, not so scheduled, you know, really shift work kind of stuff that's really hard and then not sleeping at all, which we don't really do those experiments anymore. But they used to set up these little rotating platforms that the mouse would have to move around on. And if he or she fell asleep, he would fall off on the platform into the water and they hate water. So this, so you kind of set up the spectrum that you see that the more you disturb sleep or the scheduling of sleep, the more your body just kind of falls apart. So to me, Sleep probably has a lot to do with the regulation of the processes that make us who we are. Um, Some people think it might have to do with energy expenditure, that we have to have these periods of rest to conserve energy, although there are species of animals that don't sleep. So it's kind of hard to kind of figure those things out. But the bottom line, we don't know. We just know it's incredibly important. Um, Your life kind of depends on it. So some uh, either misconceptions about sleep or maybe some bits of information that the lay person might not know about sleep? Um, I think, so there's, there's several. Um, I think that the first thing that people need to understand is that sleep is an absolute. So none of your listeners are not getting sleep. And that's important because we talk a lot about not sleeping. That is a very common theme in our conversations with different people. It's an incredibly common theme in the media. I've got this uh, slide series that I've put into some of my presentations where it's an article from like Forbes. It says something like, why 40 million Americans can't sleep. And the next one is from Yahoo Health. It says, uh, the 50 million Americans who can't sleep and, and the reasons. So it's a series like four or five slides and each one increases by 10 million. So it really makes it seem like there are millions of people out there who are not sleeping. 
Um, and it's really not the case. You may not be satisfied with your sleep. You may struggle to maintain it. You may have a job that makes it very difficult, but sleeping is kind of like hunger and thirst. There's really nothing that we can do to stop it. It's just really about control. So when you talk about things like insomnia, insomnia is not a lack of sleep. If you ask an individual, what's an insomniac? Well, it's a person who can't sleep. It's not really the definition. It's it's a person who can't sleep when they've decided they want to. So it's 11 o'clock and their partner goes right to sleep every night. You want to go to sleep with your partner and you can't. So that's part one of the definition. Part two is you have to care. You have to have sort of a negative emotional response to it, meaning if I meet somebody at a party who says it takes two hours to fall asleep, but they don't really care. They kind of like being in the dark with their eyes closed, thinking about stuff. That's not really insomnia. So the one thing I always try to convince people is that nobody out there is in danger of not sleeping. So please take that stress off your plate. Well, that, that's interesting. Yeah, it's totally the opposite of what I've always kind of understood about about sleep. Not that I've ever kind of been the person to say like I, I don't get sleep, but you, you, it is such a common complaint from people. Also, uh, also, I feel like when someone says I can't sleep or I am having trouble falling asleep, it's like almost telling your brain not to fall asleep. Well, that's that's right. So now you're getting into the sort of the performance anxiety element. Of, of sleep. So I work with a lot of professional athletes in their sleep. There is a tremendous difference from between, you know, staying after in a practice facility and shooting a hundred free throws and, and trying to make as many of them as you can versus that exact same act at the end of a basketball game where if it goes in, your team wins. If it doesn't, your team loses. Same act, shooting a ball through a little steel hoop but completely different circumstances and expectations around it. Sitting there shooting the ball by yourself and you miss, who cares? You care a lot. And so when you start to really try to sleep, and I always tell patients, stop trying to sleep. Mm -hmm. It really changes the act of what you're doing. We always talk about the F word in our clinic is not the F word. It's function or fear. Well, I, I, I don't worry about not sleeping, Dr. Winter, but I'm very fearful that if I don't take the pill or drink the alcohol or do that thing to make me sleep, I will not be functional the next day. So fear and function are really the two biggest drivers. And what I always tell them is, look, there is a surgeon at some academic center who she was up for 36 hours last night, was getting ready to go home to her family and a trauma came in and they needed her expertise to remove this guy's spleen and put him back together. And she did it on 36 hours of being awake. Now, is she at her best? Probably not. Is she irritable and likely to tell you that the dress you're wearing makes you look fat? Yes, she'll do that. But she is not. Her, her frontal lobes might not be perfect after 36 hours of being awake, but she just took that guy's spleen out and saved his life. So you're going to have a hard time convincing me that we're not functional when we've had a difficult night of sleep or even stayed up all night. That's not how our bodies work. We all pull all-nighters. Um, so when you start getting rid of that fear of, oh my goodness, what will happen if I don't sleep tonight and sort of go with it? Oh, well, I'll sleep tonight or I won't. Either way, whatever. It's going to be a hard day tomorrow no matter what. So mm. I'll just lie here and relax. It really changes everything. Um, and there's a lot of research that shows it's simply resting does a lot for us. So 
Another misconception is do not judge the success or failure of your sleep or your nap, uh, whether or not you achieve unconsciousness. You know, that's the kind of mistakes that people like Michael Jackson fall into. I need a drug that will knock me out because I'm really struggling to make that happen on my own. Well, you know, they gave him a drug that was very successful in knocking him out, but that did not create a situation that was compatible with life and die. So we don't want to get too hung up in, I just need something to knock me out. I need something to settle my mind. Hey, listen, be awake at night. Let your mind go crazy. The idea that we're going to sidestep our sleep just does not happen. Well, so now I guess when it comes to sleep, let's say for the average, you know, for the average person maybe who isn't struggling too much, um, kind of falling to sleep. Like, what are you know what is the right amount of sleep to get? Like, we always hear like eight hours is, is the right amount, but like, what you know, what is the general kind of recommendation? Does it change by the person? I guess, and also, is there a way of determining it if if it is more individualistic? Like, how do you determine the right amount? Yeah, so um, I, I was looking on your biography. I, I think that I hear the voice of the third podcaster who's a nutritionist. Am I correct? Yes, I'm a registered dietitian. Yeah, a dietitian. Thank, excuse me. So, it, you know, to me, a, a, the question of how much sleep do we need is very similar to me asking her, uh, how many calories should I eat? Mm. Well, that depends on who you are. If you're a 75-year-old reti- retired accountant who spends his days watching Judge Judy and Hot Bench, Okay, well that that's that's one caloric requirement versus I'm a you know 19 year old uh, elite level gymnast or uh, you know ultra marathoner. So it, it upsets me sometimes that we distill very complicated issues down to a soundbite, which is kind of common in the media age we live in right now. So you know to answer your question simply. Seven to nine hours on average is probably going to be good for most people. Now, are there people who require less than seven? Are there people who require more than nine? There are. So really, you know, the answer I always give to that question is you need the amount of sleep that you need. Um, And so what I mean by that is, you know, let's pick eight hours. Okay, let's give eight hours a shot because everything in the media says if you don't get eight hours of sleep, you're going to die of a heart attack, stroke, dementia, or all three at once, which is terrible. Um, so if eight hours is working for you, then by all means, keep at it. If eight hours is still leaving you in a situation where you cannot stay awake during meetings during the day, maybe you need a little bit more, or maybe there's something wrong with your eight hours. On the flip side, if you're getting eight, you're spending eight hours in bed, you go to bed at night, every night at 11 and your alarm clock set for seven, and it's taking you an average of at least one to one and a half hours to fall asleep. The question I always ask patients and just ask the patient that left my office who was struggling to take her about two hours to fall asleep is, why have you chosen that time as your bedtime? Ten's great. Nothing wrong with 10 o'clock. But why do you what makes you think that 10 o'clock is a good bedtime for you? To me, it's analogous to what time do you go to lunch? Oh, I go to lunch at 11. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty early. Tell me about that. Well, I go to lunch at 11. I sit down in the restaurant and I usually order around 1, eat, and usually leave in about 1.30, 2 o'clock. Oh, what are you doing from 11 till 1? Oh, I just sit there and, and annoy the waitresses who keep asking me what I want to eat and I say I'm not hungry. You know, Eventually, the waitress is probably going to say to you, look, why don't you just come back when you're hungry? We'll be open. Like We're not going to – you know." So. Why would you ever go early? But a lot of people, 
kind of treat their bed like a bus station. Well, I don't want to miss the sleep bus when it comes by. Or they've seen some TV doctor say eight hours and they, great, I want to do what's good for my health. So I have to get up at seven. So that means bedtime at 10. But their body is getting the very clear signals. They're not sleepy at 10. The other thing that often happens that you're probably very aware of is people who train very hard will often experience fatigue, but not necessarily sleepiness. But we, we use the word tired often to mean both. Hey, I'm really tired today. Well, why are you tired? Do you mean tired like you can't keep your eyes open at a meeting or tired like your legs have no energy in them because you woke up this morning and ran 17 miles before work? Those are both tired, but the tired running before work doesn't necessarily equate to sleepy. I've never met a marathon runner who said they got to mile marker 22 and were so tired they lay down the road and took a nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They may be so tired they had to stop running and walk for a while. They mean two different things. A lot of times when people are exceptionally fatigued, whew, I had a big day at work and I worked out really hard today, I'm going to go to bed early because I'm just I'm so tired I'm kind of useless. So they go to bed, which is perfectly fine, but then they can't fall asleep, and that frustrates them, right? You went to bed fatigued, not sleepy, two different things. Well, that, that's great. So now I guess my you know, quest, kind of follow-up there would be, you know, I, we always hear that there is like, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to die. So what, what, if any, limit, like where is that limit of like if you get less than this much sleep, it may be problematic? And – you know, and then it's like kind of a multi-part question. If you are somebody who gets that uh, is under that number, but you you function perfectly fine in the world, is that still a problem? These are great questions. Um, so, one thing that's very helpful to understand this is to kind of think about the people who are coming to my clinic. They're generally in one of two camps. They are, I can't sleep, or I'm having trouble staying awake. They are either excessively sleepy or excessively not sleepy to keep things very black and white. So the medium message that we hear about sleep is really twofold. We've talked already about how much sleep do you need, the not getting enough sleep, give you a heart attack, give you a stroke, whatnot. But then there's also the message of the people who can't sleep. What do you do when you can't sleep? Here's a great mattress. Here's a great pillow. Here's a great thing you strap to your wrist and it's going to help you sleep. So what we're really seeing is the medium message being directed at two different groups. So, and what I mean by that is, we're giving the people who can't sleep the message of, here's what you can do to help you sleep. Oh, you better get your eight hours of sleep or you're gonna, you're, you're. and the people who can't sleep, we're seeing things like, uh, or the, sorry, the people who are excessively sleepy, they're the people at risk for heart attack, disease, stroke. So what I mean by that is, the person who is only getting three hours of sleep at night because they have to work two jobs to pay the mortgage, they are not struggling to sleep. They're having very much the opposite problem. They are sneaking off during their day job to sleep in their car because they clean offices at night to make ends meet. Um, so when they hear, take this pill to help you sleep, uh, wear this wristband, their thought is, oh, I don't need any of that stuff. I'm a great sleeper. Mm. You know, that that's often the message there. Yeah. And they're the people who are at, big time risk for a lot of the problems that go along with sleep. You asked another question. What about the people who are getting five hours of sleep and feel like they're killing it? And I bet you all deal a lot with those people, the high end, 
uh, investment banker who is super into triathlons and is listening to your podcast to get the most up-to-date information about fitness because he really wants to take three seconds off his swim time and get into that elite level of whatnot. And he's getting up at four o'clock in the morning to train, going to bed at midnight. There are actually genes that allow people to function well with inadequate sleep. I think I probably possessed them. I was not a brilliant medical student or resident, but I was really good at staying up late, being on call, going every other night without sleep like we used to before they changed those laws. Like that was never much of a problem for me. My wife is much smarter than I am. If you if she's your surgeon and you need your spleen taken out at 11 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the morning, you're probably going to die. <laughs> Because at 9 o'clock at night, she is done. Like it, her, her light bulb goes out, and there's not a whole lot she can do about it. So there are genetic abilities that we have that allow certain people to do better without sleep, and they usually succeed. They outwork everybody else. They rise to the top in the law practice because they can work, 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 get their four hours of sleep, and still be pretty good at the office and the courtroom the next day. The thing you have to get to at some point is, and, and I have had to ask myself this question many times, is just because you can, should you? Mm-hmm. Just because you have that ability to get up at four in the morning, go for your 20-mile bike ride, do your swim and whatnot, do a full day of work, hang out with your kids, go to bed at midnight the next night, doing your work on the computer in the evening, is that the healthiest thing for you? Because those are the kinds of things that rust you. You know, They kind of eat at you very slowly, but can make people who look on the outside to be quite healthy, very unhealthy. So yeah, yes, there are people out there who are sort of sleep deprived and functioning quite well. And the unfortunate thing is when they hear things about poor sleep, millions of Americans can't sleep, sleep causes cancer, they often think of themselves as really good sleepers. Because as soon as they get in bed at night, they are out cold because of that sleep deprivation. So I'm actually going to skip a question because now this actually is another question I had, which does apply to me. So I might fall into that camp where I kind of uh, fall into two camps, basically, like my work is such that I'm up very early training clients, but then I'm up late at night teaching classes and between my dogs and everything like I probably average four or five hours of sleep during the week. Um, And and, but I I function pretty well. I definitely feel tired, but I function well. So um, I guess the first part of the question would be, I guess, what are signs that you are starting to rust, um, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with that, what is, and then, but the other part, um, which was my other question is what I do tend to do is I kind of quote, catch up on sleep on the weekends. And sure. I know that like there are different schools of thought on catching up on sleep. But one thing I, I do definitely notice myself is if I have a weekend, you know, particular weekend where I don't catch up on sleep, I feel significantly worse the following week versus a weekend where I do kind of quote unquote catch up on sleep. So at least kind of anecdotally, I feel like there's some merit to it because I certainly feel better when I do get the chance to kind of catch up. So I guess this, you know, the two parter is like, you know, the signs of rust and, um, you know, part two is yeah, can you catch up on sleep? So how old are you? Ah, uh, 37. I'll be 37 in a couple weeks. Okay. So to me, the, the, the easy, you know, so the, 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 the bad signs are blood pressure issues, mm-hmm. weight struggles, um, anything related to uh, your heart, um, cognitive decline. I mean, those things are typically sort of the later end sorts of things, heart failure and you know, whatever. To me, the earliest, the earliest signs of that are how how sleepy are you when you're sitting quietly so you're you're in an occupation that 
is very active. And we have a, we have a lot of these little unofficial sayings in our clinic. And one of them is, you can't fall asleep hanging sheetrock. Meaning if you're a carpenter and you're running around and you're banging on two by fours and you're putting sheetrock up and mudding it and painting it and whatnot, it's hard to fall asleep during that. Now, if you're an accountant and all you do is look at tax forms and a computer screen in a cubicle all day, that's really hard to stay awake and, and, and deal with, particularly if it's not particularly well lit where you work. So to me, you're in an occupation that's very busy, it's high energy, so it's very difficult to fall asleep or even recognize you're sleepy. So you've got to look at times when you're not high energy, you're in traffic on the way to work, parked at a stoplight, you were at your daughter's ballet recital, you know, she's eight years old, comes out, does a couple pirouettes, goes back, and three hours later, the recital's over, because that's how recitals work. <laughs> you know, how are you at a movie or on a date? How about sitting in a waiting room or a church service, if that's something you do? So if, if you know, if I'm sitting here talking to your partner, and your partner's saying, oh my God, every time he sits down, Dr. Winter, he goes right to sleep. Um, he cannot make it through an inning of a Yankees game. He fell asleep one time at an Aerosmith concert. Signs of strong drives to sleep are probably the earliest things you want to look for. And I put in my book, there's a whole chapter about sleepiness. There's something called an Epworth sleepiness scale, which you can take yourself. It's basically, if you were in X situation, how likely would it be for you to fall asleep? So it's like the little quiz you take at the back of Cosmo magazine to figure out if you're compatible with your mate. Like you answer the questions, you give yourself a score. If your score is really high, the higher your score is, the more excessively sleepy you are. So to me, for somebody like you, I would ask you questions like, hey, you know, how likely are you, likely are you to fall asleep watching a television show at night, reading one of reading a book about, you know, the fitness stuff that you look into or a pleasure book? What about when you're the passenger in a car, you get on an airplane? If you're saying to me, oh, gosh, every time I'm asleep on an airplane before it takes off. I don't really read a lot because I often fall asleep reading. I always fall asleep at night watching TV. Like if those are the answers to the questions, then those are indicating you're not getting enough sleep because your brain is looking for opportunities to get more when it can. If you're saying, look, I'm getting five hours of sleep, but when I have the opportunity to sleep more, I don't, then you might be doing okay. Now, the weekend sleep you're getting is interesting because you're right. There are a lot of camps about the way people think about what we call sleep debt. Okay, you've had five, four and a half hour nights in a row. What happens if you sleep in extra on the weekend because you've got a loving spouse and a dog that can kind of take care of himself? You know, so then there's new research out there that says if you make up for your sleep on the weekend, that those individuals who make up for it relatively quickly, like you're not making up for it at the end of the month, but you know every week you kind of sleep in a little bit, um, that the mortality rates of those individuals equaled those people who slept you know, the right amount every night. So the key is, and I've always said, look, I believe in sleep debt. I believe you can't repay a sleep debt. Like I can, no, no amount of sleep I get now will repay what I got in medical, what I lost in medical school and residency and fellowship. But if I have a difficult night tonight, if I, you know, make up for it in the next few nights, I think it's a wash. I think it's perfectly fine. And there's new research out that would say that, yes, a short term sleep debt, you, you can pay off. So you're going to treat your sleep like your credit card. You don't have enough money on the 15th to pay your bill pay what you can. That's fine. Pay your minimum balance. That's fine. So you don't get, you know, 
financed or the the penalty or whatever. But you don't want to go that let that credit card go too long before you pay the entire balance because I think sleep and interest are sort of similar, like it kind of accrues. Yeah. So um, I guess this would uh, segue to uh, I guess the natural question of napping. You've heard uh, some people will say that. Oh, if I sleep too much during the day, I won't sleep at night. Some people say, oh, I, I can't only sleep for a few minutes. If I take a nap, then I'm going to be out for hours. Or some people say, oh, I, can only, I can't sleep during the day. I can't take a nap during the day. What is, uh, so, so what, what is the evidence on napping? Is there a, a proper amount of time to nap during the day? Is it, is it healthy? Uh, and will it affect your, your sleep at night? I know, I know everyone's different, but what's sort of the general consensus? What do you believe? Sure. Those are great questions. So I, I would say first and foremost, if you're somebody who can't nap, um, and it's interesting because of a lot of insomnia, I would say more often than not, insomnia patients who are telling you they're going, you know, they, have, they haven't slept since the first Bush administration kind of thing. Like, so you would think, wow, you, know, you haven't slept more than an hour a night for the past six years. I'm guessing you're really sleepy during the day, to, you know, to, to borrow you know, the, the, the dietitian's you know, model, I eat one saltine cracker every three days. Whew. Well, I'm guessing when I meet you, you're going to be quite skinny and really hungry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not hungry at all, and I'm actually gaining weight. Okay, well, that, that's sort of like a imaginary world. There's no way that's the case, that you're eating one saltine cracker every three days, and you're gaining weight, and you're not that interested in eating. It just I mean, I'm sure there's some exotic brain tumor that could do it, but this is not something that we would see typically. Yet patients with insomnia will say that all the time. So the first thing I would say is if you're feeling like you don't sleep and because you don't sleep, you try to nap every day and you can't, guess what? You're sleeping. Because what it's saying to me is that when you lie down to take a nap and you cannot fall asleep, why can't you fall asleep? It's because you've gotten sleep somewhere and your brain's not that motivated to do it. So it's really important that if somebody says to me they can't nap, they never nap, my first thought is, okay, well, it sounds like you're sleeping. Just like if I offer you a sandwich and you're like, nah, no, no, thank you. Okay, well, I'm guessing you've eaten relatively recently because if you hadn't, you'd eat the sandwich. If you really hadn't eaten in a while, you might eat the sandwich out of a trash can. Like, so we can judge that drive to sleep and use it as a way to kind of get a thumbnail of how somebody's been sleeping. So the flip side is you're not sleeping well you know, either by your own choice or something, you know, is happening. You, you had a flight that was supposed to get in 11 o'clock. It was delayed and you didn't get him until five o'clock in the morning. You have to be at work at six. You get to work. You have a difficult day. You get home. Oh, you're exhausted because you only slept an hour. You worked a full day. You know, napping can be very helpful. So rule number one with napping is napping is for people who are efficient sleepers at night. Napping is not for the person who says, I go to bed at 11 o'clock, takes me till 4 o'clock in the morning to fall asleep. I give it 6, I go to work, I come home and take a three-hour nap. Why are you taking a three-hour nap? Well, I've got to make up for the lack of sleep I had last night. Yes, but you had the opportunity to sleep. So to me, I will give my kids as much food as they want. However, I'm not going to give them dinner, have them not eat dinner, and then two hours later they say, okay, I'm hungry now, can you make me dinner? No. You had the opportunity two hours ago. You decided not to, which is perfectly fine. The kitchen's closed. We say that all the time to our kids. Kitchen's closed. See you at breakfast. You know, what I mean by that is we've got to create an expectation in our brain that here's the sleep time. 
use it or don't use it, but you're not going to get any more. Just like any good drill sergeant can cure insomnia in about a week. Hey, Sarge, funny thing. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I was pretty nervous about our hike we were doing today. So do you mind if I skip the hike, go sleep a little bit more, meet you all for lunch? Yes, the drill sergeant mines quite a bit. He's going to put a backpack on your back, tell you to shut up, and you're going to run 10 miles. And my guess is you're not going to have trouble sleeping the next night. So to me, napping is for people who sleep well at night, who still feel like they need a little bit more you know, sleep during the day. Or napping is for people who through no choice of their own, like that flight situation, I would have gone to bed at 11 o'clock, but my flight was late. I didn't get until three. So now... I'm in this sleep deficit I had no control over. So I think that that's an appropriate place to sleep as well, too. So to me, here's the essentials for making your nap work. Number one, it should be earlier in the day rather than later. To your point, napping can make it difficult for people to fall asleep. It's like a snack. You know, my kid won't eat dinner. Okay, well, tell me about your kid. What, when he gets off the bus, what happens? Well, he gets off the bus, does his homework, eats his pizza, watches a little TV. Oh, what is it? What did you say after the homework? He gets off the bus and eats the pizza. Is that the dinner? No, no, that's his snack. Yeah. You know, it would not be any big miss. Well, you know, I, I think I know why he's not eating his dinner. Yeah. You're letting him eat an entire pizza. So to me, it, you know, you got to think of napping in that way. You feel a bit tired in the morning, take a little 20 minute nap. That way you have a, enough of the day to sort of develop sleepiness again. So you're ready to go. The other thing is you really want to sleep on a schedule. We, sleep on a schedule at night. We want to nap on a schedule. So to me, I've got a natural break at this point in my day that if I really feel like I need a nap, this would be the time I would take it. You know, Tammy, hold my calls. I'm going to go in this room. I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to close my eyes for 30 minutes and take a nap. But if I skip that nap period at three o'clock, I'm thinking, wow, I shouldn't have skipped that nap period. I should have taken my nap. Now I want it. I really try to keep my naps to that period. Either I use that period or I don't but I don't nap outside of that period. So my brain knows when to expect that nap. If you nap kind of all over the place, your brain never really knows what to do with that. So those are the people who often tell you, oh, I can't nap because when I nap, I wake up feeling worse than I did when I, you know, than if I didn't nap. Those are the people who nap off a of schedule and often nap too long. So my final criteria is nap for about 20 to 30 minutes and then wake up and start your day. It's amazing how restorative a period of 30 minutes, 25 minutes of, of sleep, or even just closing your eyes and resting can be. The other, the, real quick, the other rule I have with sleep is do not judge success or failure of your nap by unconsciousness. Your job is to go in there at 12 o'clock, set your alarm, close your eyes for the next 20, 25 minutes. If you sleep, great for you. If you don't, don't fuss, don't worry about it relaxing, plan out what to do for your wife for anniversary. Think about your celebrity crush. I love Jada, that little cooking show person from Italy. She's my celebrity crush. I'll sit there and think about Jada and relax, close my eyes. And when the alarm clock goes off, even if you didn't fall asleep or achieve that unconsciousness you were looking for, you will feel fantastic when you re-enter your workspace. So are, uh, a quick little sidebar, are you a fan of the coffee nap? Like we're, and, and I, I, again, it's an, an anecdote, but I do. It works great for me. I take a shot of espresso. A I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I like caffeine. I, you yeah. know, I think a lot of stuff that goes along with caffeine can be problematic. Yeah. But you know, if that's something that allows you, so I always tell people with your nap, have a routine that ends it. Meaning yeah. that when your nap is over, get out of that little dark office you nap in, 
walk around the, your office building two times out in the sun and grab a you know an orange juice and a, a bagel with some cream cheese. You know, so you always want to end your sleep period with light activity and food. So your body knows, oh, okay, sleep's over, time to be this way. If a little caffeine right before you lie down helps you kind of perk up and get going in the second half of your day, go for it. Interesting. Really interesting. I think you're a genius. I'm like, so much in. I'm so fascinated. I guess to switch gears a little bit, I'm curious how... Like all the, I think the the whole idea of like yes you can catch up on sleep is is good to know but also I mean like I know on the nights I don't sleep my workouts that day are just cr- like absolute crap like I can't work out that the intensity absolutely so like how would I guess how does sleep lack of sleep affect someone's athletic performance or just even just like physical fitness it it, it affects it tremendously which is why teams seek sleep specialists out these days and i'm quite busy with a lot of professional teams because of this thing and it's interesting to think about i love talking to 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 you know dietitians and this idea that it wasn't that long ago that before a baseball game you ate a steak you drank a whole bunch of alcohol and then you just kind of went for it the next day you know and now that seems absurd yet it wasn't that long ago that when an athlete left the training center Nobody really seemed to care what they were doing at night as long as they were there the next morning and they did their practice and stretches and their treatments and whatnot. So to me, athletic performance is incredibly tied to sleep. So it's not surprising at all that after a difficult night of sleep, you would feel like your workout is not all that great. Not to mention the idea that even when your sleep is good, everybody, so when you talk about sleep, the two big variables in terms of my sleep and the three of your, your all sleep is how much do you need, which we've already kind of covered. But the other thing is, when do you prefer it? So I'm a night owl. I love staying up at night. I like buying samurai swords off QVC. You know, it's a great deal. Three payments of 40 bucks. I could buy one as a gift for somebody because who doesn't need a samurai sword, right? So I just feel alive. I've got ideas about things. I do a lot of my writing at night. Um, you know, in the morning I feel injured, you know, so if, you know, we all meet up together at some point and, you know, we're at some conference together and like, Hey, let's, let's all three of us. Well, four of us go out and run in the morning and talk about stuff. And I'm like, great. I'll see you there. You will be concerned about me watching you run in the morning. I think he's hurt or he's you know, his hip or something. You know, and I feel great in the, in the, in the evening. So we have circadian peaks and troughs too, irrespective of our sleep. So to me, you know, the biggest thing somebody can do to improve their athletic performance, you know, help with their weight, you know, is really focus on, you know, are you, is your sleep as good as it can be? And then to your point, you know, I always tell people, look, you know, if you're a relatively good sleeper, we're all going to have our bad nights. And so to me, if you have a difficult night, that's okay. That's kind of part of the human condition. I think it's still really important when you have that bad night, Go ahead, get up, go to your pure bar class or whatever it is you like to do. Yeah, you're not going to light the world on fire that day, but it's really important to send the message to your brain. Just like that drill sergeant sends the message to that little soldier. Hey, sorry you didn't sleep really well last night, but our day is not going to change. And that's where people can really keep a night or two of difficult sleep from turning into a year or two of difficult sleep. 
you know, because the person who says, you know what, didn't sleep well last night, I'm going to sleep until noon. They sleep until noon. They feel kind of yucky. Their timing of their meals is completely off. Their brain did not get that surge of dopamine and serotonin from their exercise. Now it's 1130 at night. Time to go to sleep on the second night. Well, you're not that sleepy because you haven't done anything. You didn't wake up till noon. So that's where you see things start to really perpetuate themselves. Even with kids, like I'll often see walk into my my exam room. There's two parents. Mom's got a legal pad. Dad's upset. He's had to take off work for this. And there's a 17 year old sitting there who does not want to be in my clinic. And I know before anybody opens their mouth, the reason why they're there, they're there because the 17 year old stays up till four and fights them tooth and nail that he can't go to school before noon. You know, and on the weekends, he sleeps until five o'clock in the afternoon. Ah, uh, memories. So, <laughs> exactly. So, so I think that you have to be very disciplined about schedule. Athletic performance and sleep are intimately tied. We make our growth hormone during deep sleep. Yes, growth hormone is important when you're little because it makes you grow. But even when you've stopped growing, you all know better than I do. It's everything in terms of your recovery got to recover to be able to be a good athlete long term. And if you're not getting that growth hormone to our point about rust earlier, bodies start to break down. You know, so I'm not interested. I'm not only interested in how good an athlete can be. I want to know how long we can keep you in your sport. What's the arc of your career? And I love talking to these guys who are kind of nobody out of college or, or women. Um, I work with the mystics. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that um, Elena is not her knee is okay because she got hurt last night in one of their or championship or their uh, uh, playoff games. But you know, so what makes an arc of a career? I love talking to these long athletes who 17 years in the NBA. They often are really organized and disciplined about their eating, the way they take care of their body, and their sleep. You don't meet a lot of people who are out playing video games till three o'clock in the morning, chasing members of the opposite sex around bars and stuff like that, and have a long career. Mm, very good point. Fast. Very good point. So I guess I, I uh, have a lot of clients, actually, that struggle with sleep. So, like, I can help them with their nutrition. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they're not sleeping, they're, it's hard for them to see weight loss results or whatever they're seeing before. So I have a question because I have one client who she's so committed to this. She's got exercise, like, commit, committed. She does it every night. But she does it at night. And then she has issues falling asleep. And I don't want to – it's the best time of day for her. I don't want to tell her to remove it. You know, the exercise is good for her, but I do believe that's the reason and I could be wrong, but how, what, what research do you have about like uh, exercising at night and how that affects someone's sleep? I, I think and actually say exactly what you said to me, which is basically, look, if the only time you have to exercise in the evening, I would never tell somebody not to do it unless the exercise was wrapping up around midnight and they had to be at work at five. But if they didn't exercise, they could go a bit closer to 10. If it's cutting into your sleep time, the amount of time you have to sleep, then I think you have to re you have to rethink how important is that exercise if it's cutting into sleep. If it's making it difficult for people to fall asleep, that's sort of a different thing. So yeah, to me... So what I would say is, is that if she can't exercise earlier, it's just not in the cards because of her job or her family situation, it's really important to pay attention to the circumstances in which she's exercising in and what is she doing immediately. So the exercise is done at 10 o'clock and she's telling you, I could be in bed by 1030, but it usually takes me until at least 1130 or even midnight to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. 
then to me, the thing that you, if, if you're stuck with that situation, it really comes to, okay, as soon as the exercise is done, I need you to turn off lights. In fact, I gave an athlete one time a headlamp. I said, look, when you're done working out, put this headlamp on. You're not allowed to turn on a light in your house. Like this is your light now. So you want to create a very dark environment. It's very hard for your body to stay awake in the dark because in the dark we make a lot of melatonin. So if she's finishing up her exercise and going right to Game of Thrones, you know, and turning on all the lights in her living room so she can draw out her, you know, her plans for this building because she's an architect, like that's what you don't want. Right, so right. the second thing is temperature manipulation can be very helpful, particularly sometimes in women. So as soon as the exercise is done, we want to get you to cool off quickly. So she should shower very quickly right after that. And I like a really hot shower so that when you get out of the hot shower, your body starts to cool. She should wear very light pajamas, not the Tom Brady hot as hell pajamas. They make you sweat like crazy. And there's a device called Chili Pad, C-H-I-L-I-P-A-D, which is a bed topper that has these little silicone tubes in it. You put water in this little box, plug it up, and it circulates the water through the little tubes in your pad. And you can cool or heat your your temperature, whatever you like it. In her situation, you'd want it really cold. You know, about as cold as she could stand it. And these things go, they can cool your bed down to 55 degrees. And you can buy one that only is on her side. So she has a partner. It's not affecting the partner sleep. So the key is you want to create that drop in temperature very quickly because that exercise she's doing in the evening, if you look at the 24-hour temperature curve of a human, you can see that around the time Stephen Colbert is doing his monologue, that the, the temperature drop we have is severe. If she's exercising in the evening, she's going to delay that temperature drop. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be one thing that keeps her awake. So dark light, cooler body, and really try to avoid food, certainly avoid caffeine, smoking, and things like that. But a lot of times people want to eat after they yeah. and you make really smart choices like hummus, yogurt with nuts, cereal, tart cherry juice is a fantastic recovery drink mm-hmm. that really helps with sleep. You know, chocolate milk and some tart cherry juice, not at the same time. That'd be awful. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And I like teas, like chamomile passion flower tea, or there's a get some Z's tea. Mm. So it's a nice little ritual you, you, you set up with your client. Exercise is done. Turn the lights down. Like you really want a berry white kind of feel to your, your apartment, your home. Like you're going to get, you know, you know the good things are going to happen romantically kind of thing. So really dark, little house on the prairie kind of feel. Um, then you really want a hot shower, get out of the shower, put on very light clothing, a little pair of shorts, a little tank top, something like that. Have your, uh, yogurt with your know, nuts on it. Have your tart cherry juice, make yourself some tea, drink that tea, and then, you know, kind of transition to your bed, read for 20 minutes. And then one of the things I always tell people is, you know, don't be afraid to rest. If she's saying to you, I don't even bother going to bed before 11 because I'll never fall asleep. Then okay, well, we're kind of in a bad situation here, so why don't you just go ahead and go to bed at 11, knowing that you're not going to sleep, close your eyes, rest, think about your workouts, think about your work the next day, whatever you want to think about, and just utilize that time to kind of meditate. If you fall asleep, great. If you don't, that meditation will make you feel pretty good the next day. Don't think that just because you're not going to fall asleep, don't create that self-fulfilling prophecy that you know allows you to watch one more episode of your favorite TV show because there's no use. It's amazing when you get people to stop trying to sleep. Yeah. Oh, just be in bed and relax. How many? How often they will actually sleep? So 
so um, so you mentioned uh, Carcadian rhythms, and that was a question I had. So I had this interesting experience. Um, I w- recently we, I was on vacation, and part of the vacation we were on a cruise. And um, on this cruise, we were in a room that was kind of, I guess, on the inner side of the boat. So we didn't have a window. And um, so when I would go to sleep, it was dark. And when I'd wake up, it, it was still dark. Like I, I had no connection to the real world once I was inside. And even though I was getting eight hours of sleep every night you know, for the first time in ages, and, and I, you know, as the day went on, I feel good. For in the morning, I had like I had no reference point to to where I was in the day, and I couldn't. I, I it was the biggest struggle I've ever had waking up. Like I've had you know days where I've I've gone extended periods of time without sleep, and I've it, it's been easier to get up than it was after getting eight hours of sleep in a dark room. So I guess maybe you could talk a little bit about how kind of the circadian rhythms affect our sleep, and and is this a common experience with people who are in like a dark place where they where they don't see any light or have any any reference point. Sure. So there's probably a couple things going on with you. The first might be the fact that you've been only getting five hours of sleep. Your body was sort of drunk on sleep, you know, getting eight hours for the first time in a long time. Your body's used to being up at six and seeing your first client at seven, you know, versus now you're getting up at eight. Your brain doesn't really know what to do with that. You know, should we continue to sleep? Should we wake up? So there can be sort of a circadian problem there and that your body's not used to waking up at that time, light or not light. Now, the light is interesting. Philips makes this very interesting clock that uses light instead of sound, at least initially, to wake you up. So you put this little clock next to your bed. It looks like a little you know, dinner plate. And when the alarm goes off in the morning, it starts very faint and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. So it kind of simulates a sunrise. Mm-hmm. And some of the best things you can do to really ingrain your circadian rhythm is start your day off with a gradual addition of light and it's really nice to end your day or like the client we were just talking about buy some dimmer switches at home depot or lowe's put them on the you know lights near your home and as you get ready to wait you know go to bed at night after dinner start dimming lights you know creating a sunset so to speak in your bedroom in fact there's a company called sora that's going to create that's created a light bulb that when you plug it up in your home it subtracts or adds the blue-green wavelength of light based upon what the sun's doing outside. So you plug it in your home. It figures out from the Wi-Fi in your house what time it is. And so now as the sun starts to go down outside, the blue-green light, which is really the light wavelength that controls our circadian rhythm, starts to become subtracted. But you can't tell from looking at it. So you've got this very healthy lighting situation in your house even though you don't see it really happening, which is fascinating. So my guess is being in that dark bedroom, yeah, it was very jarring for your brain to walk out, you know, to suddenly see light at eight o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever time you're finally, you know, arousing from your stateroom when your body was really used to generally, you know, starting to work up a sweat at 630 and had already had your coffee and your bagel, you know, before that. So, and that's why shift work is just so difficult because, that rhythm we get into all of a sudden gets completely turned on its head. Jet lag is the same thing. So it was probably a combination of this being very difficult, different from your typical schedule, not only in terms of what you're doing, but also your exposure to the light, which is thought to be the biggest entrainer of our circadian rhythm, light, body movement, meal timing, temperature to some extent. Those are the things that create changes in our circadian rhythm. So, well, I guess this is a, a sort of a, a perfect follow-up. So, 
probably unlike Ryan and Tony and and and, um, and most people, I've uh, well, I don't know about most people, but I've always had trouble falling asleep, uh, sort of at a quote unquote normal time. I am the artist of the bunch. I um I I like to to write at night or or practice my instruments. Um, or do something mentally stimulating at night. It's actually I feel very energized at night. I like to stay, uh, you know, stay up to all hours. It just it fe- it has always felt good for me, and I could, you know, I, I would enjoy going to sleep at three in the morning and waking up at you know ten or, or eleven. That always felt right. And when I went to, when I would go to sleep early, I would always have trouble waking up, no matter how much sleep I got, and it would never be comfortable sleep. As for what always felt right now, the so I guess that the there's a, I have a few questions with this, but am I naturally inclined that way, or is that BS and it's just how I've worked things out? And can I change my behavior because I I have to change it now because I'm 37 years old and I I I don't want to live that way, but it it still feels very. It still feels very difficult for me to go to sleep at even 12 o'clock and wake up at, at 8. It's just difficult for me. And um, I'm just wondering, <laughs> what's the deal yes. with that? So you are naturally inclined. In fact, it's it's pretty well known that it's a genetic trait. And I always like to ask people like you, what do your parents do? Well, my wife, my mother was a teacher. My dad was a farmer. You know, So you often find that at least one parent kind of shares your night tendencies or maybe a sibling. So... It is genetic. The bigger question is, can you change it? And the answer is you can, but it does take sort of a discipline and a work. And the problem is a lot of times when people have to change but don't want to change, then, okay, so you get a job now and your boss says you have to be there at 6 o'clock in the morning and you struggle to get out of bed and you kind of, you know, you you don't feel all that great. What do you do on Friday, Saturday night? Stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, get up at noon. You know, so... Often when people have the ability to revert back to their situation, they do. So if somebody's really serious about wanting to change that, then, you know, we always joke, if you really want to change it, get married, have three kids and get a job. <laughs> get a job that you have to be there at eight o'clock in the morning, you'll change it. Because even on the weekends when you could sleep in, your kids are jumping on your head, want to make pancakes at five in the morning or something crazy <laughs> like that. My, my kids never slept in on the weekend, but we couldn't wake them up during the week. It was always like, why don't you act like this? <laughs> So you can do it, but it just takes a lot of effort. You need to, you know, find an exercise group every morning and wake up with them at six o'clock in the morning. You need to control the lighting of your environment. And most importantly, when you have the opportunity to sleep in and to stay up, I don't really focus so much on the bedtime. Go ahead and stay up if you want to. But I I, I don't want you sleeping in until noon or 11 o'clock on the weekend. I want you up at your typical work time on the weekend and I want you to exercise first thing in the morning like you typically do. Generally speaking, your body will shift. But generally, the people who are struggling to do it are kind of reverting back. It's like a shift worker. Well, of course, when you work nights on the weekends, you're probably going to try to sleep at night and be awake during the day because fun things happen during the day. And you will go see a movie and businesses are open. Is it rare to find a shift worker even on his or her off nights will keep that night shift? that's probably the healthier thing to do in some ways is to keep on the shift that you're on because the back and forth is problematic. But no, you know, you're probably fighting against a genetic tendency that you can overcome, but it's always going to be there. Now, it typically lessens as we get older, which is why grandma and grandpa down in Sarasota, 
you know, pull the neutral bullet out at three o'clock in the morning, start making smoothies and wondering uh-huh. why you're so confused as to why they're up and it's still pitch black outside. Well, they went to bed at seven after McNeil Lair. Like they just <laughs> tend to have sort of a retraction of that circadian rhythm, what we call a phase advance. They just want to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. Most teens want to go to bed late, sleep in late. And then, you know, everybody else kind of falls in between. Some people retain that night tendency longer than others. But usually the people who retain it have permissive schedules. I mean, I'm a night owl, but I've got a job. I get up early to work out because that's the time that it works for me. And so that's really cured a lot of that. You know, when I get up, it's 530 to take my son to his swimming, you know, gauntlet practice that he does. I usually just go ahead and stay up and work out. I don't find myself staying up till three o'clock in the morning that often. So you can switch it, but as soon as I my son starts driving, which he does now, and I don't have to go take him, I can sleep in until eight, you know. And now all of a sudden you start finding yourself, well, and that was fun watching Jimmy Fallon see what Seth Myers has to say. And before too long, you know, you're up pretty late. So swimming against the stream, but you can do it. Good, good to know. And I've and I've been making efforts. Of course, the most recent issue that I've had with sleep, and I've had it for a while, and because it, it, it's intermittent, but it's it's not fun. Is nighttime anxiety? Like I won't feel anxious during the day, and I won't feel restless. Um, and and uh, just as a sidebar, I feel like we have to have you back on the podcast because there's still so much more talks on you know all the sleeping disorders and sleep apnea and, and all this other stuff. Um, you know, we just can't keep you forever. Happy, happy to do it. Yeah, and I've got to see a patient, so we'll so. we'll do this one, and I'm happy to come back. Sure. So. What I've uh, sort of been suffering with is nighttime anxiety. I'll wake up, if I go to sleep a normal time or normal for me, you know, around 11 or 12, I'll wake up at 3 in the morning, my heart's pounding, and I'm starting to worry about all the things in the world that normal people worry about, and it always seems to happen at night or when I'm trying to sleep. Um, So that's an issue I've been having. And then the sort of the second issue is taking – I've taken Ambien before and I know it's one of the most popular drugs in the world and I'm sure it can't be good to take for an extended period of time. You know, I recently tried doing – I don't want to smoke, but I tried some uh, edible marijuana that's had uh, um, effects that are okay that help some of the time and sometimes not and tried melatonin and CBD and all all, all this stuff. Um, So I'm wondering if – any of these aids help if they can be dangerous? I know I know that probably taking so, prescription drugs is not great. Um, so here, here, here's the ways situation. of dealing. Okay, yeah, you know. So all of them are the same. And what it's boiled down to is we're back to the F word. You wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're having anxiety. You think about all kinds of stuff. Great. I, you know what? I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff right now. I think about all kinds of stuff all the time. What you're really saying is I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff and I wish I couldn't because it's interfering with my ability to fall asleep. So what I would say to you is this. When you wake up at three o'clock tonight or tomorrow night, think about stuff and sit there and think about it all night long. If you want to get out a piece of paper and pencil, make a list of all the things you got going on. I, I don't really care. Stay up all night if you want to. If you've got so many things to think about being in beds, impairing your ability to think about stuff, then get up, go sit at a desk and think about stuff. Now, the key is. You need to be up at your wake-up time. So what time is your wake-up time? At 6 o'clock is when my first client comes. Then you need to be up at 6 o'clock. Yes, but you know the funny thing was I was thinking about stuff till 4 o'clock in the morning. I get that. So that's, again, that conversation with your brain is, look, think about it. I don't care. That's what makes you who you are. You know, We don't need to hide from this. It's not a problem. The problem is the fear of, oh, my gosh, I'm, it's, I'm up. It's 3 o'clock. I can't get back to sleep. 
I've only slept for four hours. I'm not going to be functional the next day unless I do something. I want to chew on some marijuana, take some Ambien, drink some alcohol. Like it's just, it's absurd because what we're really doing is saying to somebody, I went out with some friends yesterday for lunch. Oh, really? How was it? It was terrible. They ordered food and I wasn't hungry. Really? What did you do? I don't know. I was asking my friends if they had any appetite stimulants. Nobody did. And I know that if you don't eat, you can starve to death and die. So like, it's just, who thinks like that? Like, you know what you did? You didn't eat food, even though it looked really good, the, the food that your friends got. You ordered yourself a Diet Coke and you moved on with your life and never gave another thought. Why? Because you believe in appetite. You believe that there is no, this is not the beginning of you starving to death. You're not going to be dysfunctional because you didn't eat a chicken Caesar sandwich. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't enter into people's thoughts. The people think, oh, I've gone, I one time I skipped breakfast and lunch and did just fine in my life. Like, so this idea that you're in some sort of trouble because it's three o'clock in the morning and you can't fall asleep. Who cares? I, one time my son came down, he was like 16 years old. He said, dad, I can't sleep. It was like midnight. I'm sitting there like watching The Voice or something. You know, I was like, I said, you know what? I said, why don't you stay up all night and write an English essay about it? Because I know you have to write an English essay every two weeks about some topic of your choice. And it's late in the year and you're kind of running out of topics. That'd be a good one. Stay up all night on a school night and write about it. And he looked at me like, you're the worst sleep doctor in the world. No, <laughs> because it's, and they said, is that it? Because they're getting ready to have the next contestant on The Voice. I'm really interested in this. So that's it. Just. So, so I went and we, we told our kids when they were seven, eight years old, you no longer have a bedtime. Stay up as late as you want. We don't care. Now, you need to be in your bedroom. and You can't have a screen or a phone in your room. But other than that, I don't care what you do. Now, what we didn't tell them is come hell or high water, we're waking you up at 630. <laughs> so that's the key is that I raised my – everybody says, oh, Chris, your, your, your kids are such good sleepers. Well, we made them that way. I don't want you thinking about that. I want you to put as much worry behind brushing your teeth. As you do sleep, I'm sure there's somebody out there who lives in Tasmania who, who knocked his eyeball out one time in this freakish teeth brushing accident, you know, and my guess is he carries a lot of anxiety about brushing his teeth because he only has one good eyeball. I mean, I, maybe that happens. I don't know. But most people, they don't really give a thought about brushing their teeth. They just do it. That's where you need to be about your sleep. You're going to sleep tonight or you're not. Either way, you're going to be fine. So learn to love being in your bed awake. It's great. You know, I love it. Take a look. Go on my Amazon page and look at my book. Look at the people who gave me one-star ratings. Read, just really read the rating. Dr. Winter has no idea what he's talking about. This supposed, quote-unquote, sleep doctor has no idea what it's like to be in the throes of cruel, hellish insomnia. I'm sure he's never spent a sleepless night in his life. Yada, yada, that's what they sound like. <laughs> you can just hear the fear you're calling being in your bed at night, not sleeping, a hellish situation. I, my hellish situation is Silence of the Lambs. I'm naked in a hole in somebody's face. <laughs> some reason to put lotion on my skin. That is a hellish situation. It's not comfortable bed, dark, quiet, kids aren't breaking things, asking me for money. Nobody's calling me on the phone. I'm just there with my thoughts, thinking about walking around the Italian countryside with Jada. That's, that's not bad. That's... It's not great, but it's not hellish. So embrace it. You're up at three, big deal. Or start your day. Get going. You know, the idea that we need to knock ourselves out is foolish. It did not work for Michael Jackson. In fact, it killed him, and it's not going to work for anybody else. 
Stop taking things to be hungry. That doesn't happen. Stop taking things to get yourself thirsty. That doesn't happen. Stop taking things to sleep. Nobody's in danger of not sleeping. Well, speaking of your book, um, you know, I know we don't want to keep you too much. You've given us so much uh, amazing information. But your book's called The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It, right? It is. Yeah, and-, and if you don't like it, Please don't review it on Amazon. I love it. I get a really – I use a lot of the negative um, reviews in my presentations about insomnia. They're, they're really helpful. But no, I, I definitely prefer <laughs> – I'm very appreciative of positive reviews yeah. if that's the way you feel. Well, it is a great book and I, you know, I'm not one to review stuff anyway, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to I'll, – I'll add my review to uh, to help offset that because it is, it is a really – I mean it's a wonderful book and, and it's you know, tons of great Thank information you so and, and you've shared. Um, and incre- again, like, we'd love to have you back on because we could probably Anytime. get another five podcasts out of, out of it. It's just so much great information. But um, where can people find you? Is there a website, social media? Like what's the best place for people so, to get in uh, touch with you? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at sportsleepdoc.com. Um, my web page is Seville uh, Neuro and Sleep. But if you just type in Dr. Winter, like the season and sleep, you'll get all kinds of stuff that'll pop up. Awesome. Great. Well, I mean, it was, it was, it was a re- really great having you on the podcast. And, you know, love my to have you back. So and thank, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Thank Bye now. I think it's only fair that, that you ask Chris to send you the bill for that consult <laughs> you, were, you were going for at the end. Nice. Uh, <laughs> kind of a little excessive. <laughs> <laughs> the perks of being a podcast host. <laughs> I, I look. I believe that my issues are very common, and I'm speaking for you know the general public here. So they needed answers to these questions. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I definitely want to check out that book, though. Yeah. Uh, he is incredibly knowledgeable, and look, we've had a ton of great guests. And a lot, and some great conversations. A lot of the stuff that they say, we know, or we know to in some capacity. But Chris really brought some things to life, to light that I just really would never have thought of. Yeah, and it just that doesn't happen that often, especially in the age of the internet, where you read up on on so many topics, and if you were, were researching a topic. Uh, and I've read about sleep, but some of the things he said just, it was like a, a light went off. Yeah. And it was just like, a, wow, really just wonderful information. I, and yeah. I, I can't wait to have him back. Yeah, and I like the mindset of, you know, you don't, you know, the kind of performance anxiety part aspect. I don't think I've ever considered um, or really thought much about. And it really, you know, makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think it does help with that kind of, yeah, that anxiety of, oh, crap, I'm not, I'm not sleeping. What's wrong with me? And um, hopefully our listeners can take something from that. And, uh, yeah, definitely get the book. It is really good. You know, I think a lot of times it does do – that's what I do often when I'm looking for something and I look at reviews. I always kind of read the ba- – I look at the negative reviews first. And, you know, the idea is, okay, what's, what's the context here? Is the person, like, reviewing it from the, a, a real place or are they just completely – missing the point like I do that when I go on vacation and I'm like looking for tours a lot of times I'll look at the one star reviews and it's like okay why are they reviewing it one star is it because they didn't get the experience they expected even though something was very clear in what they the 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 tour company was offering or did they have a legitimate gripe and and often you'll see right away oh that's it it's just somebody who completely doesn't get it but I think in this case the book is very straightforward and and, uh, yeah I think totally worth it yeah 
fascinating. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I guess that, that's it. We went long today, yeah. um, but uh, but definitely worth it. So um, as usual, all of our stuff is at thegymwits.com. Uh, you can find our our social media, uh, contact information, um, ask us questions, and all that good stuff. Uh, so I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sleep, sell. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Tony Marinucci, your registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are the gymnasts.